Good morning. My name is Brad. Happy you're here. Uh, if you are new with us, uh, we, there's some things I want to call your attention to. You might be wondering, like, what the heck do we do here? What, what, are, what are some things that we're about? What are some things that we've done? In the back, as you're leaving, there's these things called snapshots. They're pretty cool. On it are basically what happened last year. Our years go from August to, no, September September to September, that's a year for us. But on this is basically what, what happens last year. So you could see that our average attendance, how many gatherings, what we're into. Then on the back are these neat little bullet points that say this is what we're going to try and do this next year. So if you want to figure out what we're up to, what we're doing, check these out. Get them on the way out. On your way out also, fill out that welcome card and leave it there on the table and we will pick it up. That way we can spam your email boxes with all sorts of stuff and get you all connected. Got it? Cool. Pray with me, and then we will talk about uh, hope in the place of our weakness. Uh, Father, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for the cold. We thank you for the change in the season. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we thank you for this morning. Lord, may we be attentive to your spirit. May we be attentive to your presence that's already in this room. Uh, may you guide us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. How many of you like unexpected things? That was expected. Not very many of you. How many of you couldn't wait to find out what your parents got you for Christmas? Yeah, you don't like unexpected things. And so you want to go peek. My wife tells a story, and I'm sorry to do this, where she, was, she wanted so badly to know what she was going to get for Christmas, and her mom was in her room rapping. And if I tell this wrong, you can correct me. I wasn't going to share this, but this reminded of it. Anyway, uh, and so she wanted so badly to be, see what's in the, what's, what she's getting for Christmas. And we lived in California. She lived up in the hill, and wildfires were common, as you're reading about in the news. And so she stood outside of her parents' room where her mom was rapping and yelled, fire. <laughs> what? Mom goes running out, Carrie's behind the door, Carrie slips in. <laughs> this is what we're getting for Christmas. She is brilliant. Unexpected, doesn't like the surprise. I'm going to pay for that one. But we all do this in some sort of way. I do this when we're watching a movie. I don't like to wait and see if the, the person dies or not, if it's a true story. I go on Google. What happened to the oil rig that caught on fire? Did they all get, oh, cool, I can continue watching this. I know what's going to happen. I don't want to be disappointed. I don't, I don't want to be sad. I'm paying a lot of money. Don't make me cry. And uh, this is why we don't watch This Is Us. It's just, it's too sad. But we like to know what to expect. I lie awake at night wondering different scenarios of what will happen if this happens. Or what will I do if someone says this? The worst meeting that I go to is one I don't know what's going to happen in. And so I try and imagine everything. Some call it neurotic. Some call it anxiety. I call it being prepared. Because <laughs> I prepare for most things. So we don't, we like to expect, we like to know what's coming, we like what's coming down our path. What we don't expect scares us. We don't expect God to work in our weak places, do we? We hide from weakness. 
when you're in a job interview, I don't know if they ask this anymore, they did when I interviewed, all those questions, what are your strengths, instantly you pop off eight or ten, right? Oh, I'm good with people, I'm a, I'm a team player, all the usual ones. Then they say, what's your weakness? Uh, I'm a, what's that? I'm a, I'm a 49ers fan. You watch, God will work through weakness next season. If not next season, the next season. There's always hope, Keith. We, we, we don't thrive on our weak places. In fact, we try and hide them. And, it, and it's really, we, we don't expect the weakest teams to win like the 49ers to win. We don't expect the underdog teams to come up. We don't expect the losing two years ago 100 games, the Houston Astros, to win the World Series. We don't expect that. We expect the high pay dollar Yankees or Dodgers or not the Mariners to win the World Series. We expect the strong to survive. That's in our culture. So it's to our detriment oftentimes where we look at ourselves and find these places where we are weak, our weaknesses, and we never expect God to use us in the middle of our weakness. That's something we're never really expecting, therefore we'll never really prepared for it. We do everything to avoid talking about our weakness. Talking about weakness even right now is having some people feel a little bit uncomfortable. We never expect our, our weaknesses to be used, and so we hide from them. And in many cases, we hide in them, and we allow our weaknesses to become an excuse of why we can't do certain things that God wants for us to do. However, the reality is this, that we all have our weak areas, and in those times, we need to embrace the weakness. In those times we embrace the weakness, we are introduced to an indwelling power that is greater than those external circumstances. Our weaknesses look a lot like fears, and our fears turn into paralysis, and, in keeping us, and that keeps us from growth. We're afraid to be rejected. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid to be, we're afraid to be embraced, we are afraid and so we avoid. A casual look through scripture, just breezing the pages and you'll find story after story where God calls specific people to do something for him in every single one of those places. That person is called in an area of weakness. Moses, one of my favorite characters in scripture, is walking along, sees a burning bush. God says, come towards the bush. The bush burning didn't really bother him so much. But it's what the bush said. In Exodus 3.10, I'm going to keep Craig so busy and on point today, he's going to, he's going to do great. You ready, Craig? It starts now. Exodus 3.10. So now go, God says, I am sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Moses is coming from a place of weakness. He's been exiled from Egypt. He's afraid to go back there. Later, we hear Moses' real reason. He had a little bit of a stutter. How is he, someone who stutters, going to say anything to Pharaoh? Moses was very aware of his inadequacies, and each of those inadequacies brought him a new hiding place where he didn't have to do what God had called him to do or prepared him to do. I don't get to play the part, he said. I'm not gifted. And because of who I am, because of my stuttering, who will ever believe me? 
And Gideon was the next person that God used. There's a couple in between there. We'll get to them. Gideon was the next person. In Judges chapter 6, when the, uh, we'll start in verse 12. How are we doing, Craig? You are so good. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I love Gideon's response. What? Par- pardon me. At least he was polite. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? Uh, he finds himself in, in, in a pretty tough place in that time in history. Where are all of his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they, when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the land, into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him again and said, go in strength and you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? What? (laughs) My Lord. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? I'm the, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. If I can put it into my own words, I want you to do this. (laughs) <laughs> no way. You've got the wrong number. <laughs> who, as the kids would say, who dis? <laughs> Do they say that still? No. Kids? No? Okay. <clears throat> Gideon uses something that we all hide behind. Family history. Oh, you don't know my story. You don't know, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the mistakes I've done. You've got to be joking me. You, you can't. You've got to be kidding. You're not going to use me. I'm the weakest person in my, my clan is the weakest in this tribe, and I am the least in my family. There's no way you can use me. And then we have Mary. She was young, probably around 13, 14, no younger than, no older than 16 years old. She's a virgin. And the angel comes to her and says, greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And we've said this before, but every time an angel appears, Mary was greatly troubled. That's always the response when you see an angel. And they wonder what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will not end. How will this be? Which is the proper response, right? She's a virgin. She's looking at the angel. Again, if I could say it in my words, it would say, angel, did you miss that part in class? This, this doesn't compute. Things like this doesn't happen. She's troubled because she is in a very vulnerable state. She's troubled with it. She has doubt. She can't get in her mind that God would use her to bring about this kind of change. She knows what this is about. She knows that this is the Messiah. And she's very shocked that the Messiah is coming through her, the one we least expect but I love her honesty. I'm too young for this. And isn't there some things that's supposed to happen before I have a kid? I'm not married. I'm a virgin. How is this going to work? Each one of the responses that we see from Moses and Gideon and Mary all have a common question. How will you use me? Moses asked. 
What will you do with my weakness, Gideon said. And who will this happen to, Mary asked. How will, what will, and who will? Those are questions that we ask all the time. God's calling us to do something. Ah, who's going to believe me? They know who I am. God's telling you to step out in faith. Oh, what will happen to me? How's this going to work out? Or you find yourself at the end of yourself and you're wondering, how am I ever going to get through this? Who will, what will, how will? And we find ourselves asking these questions quite often, don't we? In places of pain, how will, who will, and what will? Therefore, because of those questions, we can't find answers and we convince ourselves that these areas will never be used, that we will never amount to anything. And so we just stay hidden in our questions and in our doubts and we avoid these weak places. Yet in all of these examples, these are places where God is immediately drawn to because these are the places where we know that we need God the most. God uses our weak places in order to cultivate a, re a receptivity to his own strength. If we know we're weak, we'll be open to God's power, God's strength. Our receptivity is a prerequisite to, the, to acknowledge and receive Christ's power. Because of our weakness, we don't, accept, we don't expect God to move much through us. And we end up being the ones who limit what God can do. But all through scripture... We find ourselves moving, we find God moving into the weakest places in people's lives. And he does so in two ways, and it shows up in that story of Mary. The first thing he says to Mary, how is this all going to work out? This says the spirit will empower you. The first thing he says to, the angel says to Mary, Mary says, how is this going to work? Step one, the spirit will empower you. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born and called the Son of God. God moves in the most unexpected and the most avoided places in our lives. But look what the angel says. I will the Holy Spirit will empower you. Now things tend to get strange when we talk about Holy Spirit. We've seen the extremes often. We see the people who make a big spectacle of things when the Holy Spirit comes. They're on TV a lot. We know who they are. We know what they look like. Uh, that's one end of the extreme. On the other side of the extreme, we have those who say the Holy Spirit is not active in our world today. It, there's no giftings. Everything has ceased. Both of these extremes are, have very big weaknesses in their arguments. The Holy Spirit is active in today, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to appear chaotic. And we can't limit what the Holy Spirit wants to do. The Holy Spirit is active and living and fills the Christ followers of today. The Holy Spirit empowers you, gifts you, lets you, uh, prompts you to prayer, prompts things in your mind. The Holy Spirit is working in today's world. So both of these extremes have fault in what they say. The Holy Spirit is active. Neither of these views are accurate. And all through scripture, we can see how the Holy Spirit moves. Craig, you ready? Okay. It starts in Exodus. Actually, it starts in the beginning. We won't go to Genesis where the Spirit of God was calling order from chaos. In the very beginning, we see the Spirit of God. In Exodus 31, 
verse, verse 1. Or verse 2, it says, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. I like that name. And I have given him, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, bronze, to cut stones, to work in wood, to engage all kinds of crafts. The Spirit of God came on Bezalel where he was able to start doing things creatively, artistically, that no one else could have done because the Spirit was on him. And he started making things for the temple and the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. The Spirit of God fell on him. Then the Spirit of God came to Gideon. We've already talked about him, so let's move on. And we'll go to Judges 15. Craig, you're on it. Judges 15 that comes on Samson, who was a prisoner, who through the Spirit of God was given incredible strength. In Judges 15, 14, the Spirit came upon him in power, and the ropes on his arms became charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hand. The Spirit of God came upon Samson, and he was given superhuman strength. Then the Spirit of God empowered others for prophecy, specific people, then they, they were able to be the God's mouthpiece. It says in Isaiah 61, 1, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Then in Joel 2.28, God says through Joel, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters. They will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and the young men will see visions. God's promise was that he was doing something through the Spirit. And in Joel 2, he says, it doesn't matter who you are. The old men will have dreams. Uh, the young will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. It didn't matter who you were, what you did. The Holy Spirit was going to indwell, empower, fill you, regardless of your position, regardless of your age, regardless of your gender, your ethnicity, your race, your strength, or your weakness. What we see is that the Spirit comes upon people in their weakness and calls them and says, you don't think you can do something here. You've written your story off, but God can. Watch this. Watch what God will do in the middle of weakness. And so the Spirit comes to Mary and says, in your place of weakness, in your place where you're troubled, I'll give you the strength you need. It enabled her and filled her seeming inadequacies for her to step into what God was doing. Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit strengthening, he's strengthening his disciples. Uh, in John chapter 20, it says in Jesus, Jesus says this to his people as he's departing, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you and breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Later in Acts, Jesus is talking to the same people and he says, go into and wait for the Spirit of God to come upon you. This is in Acts 1. He says, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and when it does, You'll know it. You will receive power, he says, to do what I am calling you to do. The Holy Spirit empowers those people that he calls in the middle of their weakness and fills them. Paul talks about the Holy Spirit filling. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The word filled there is a word that people will argue over on both ends of the spectrum. Filled is a word where it's constant and refilling. It's an ongoing event. 
When you accept Christ, when you come to know him, you are instantly filled with his spirit. But we all have leaks. And we leak things out. That's why Paul says constantly be filled with the spirit in your areas of weakness. Be filled with the spirit. Always be filled. Go on being filled is the best way to translate it. Go on being filled. You will always need filling to be invited into deeper and bigger purposes that God has laid out upon you. When God calls us, he empowers us. When he empowers us, he fills us. Even in our weaknesses, even in those times when we don't know what to do, when we don't know what to say. How, how many of you have ever been in a situation where you sit there and go, yeah, I don't know. Hospital room, something's going wrong, and you want to pray, but you don't really have the words to pray. You find yourself in a board meeting. You don't know what to do. You find yourselves uh, in a conversation at work with some very troubling things in front of you, and you don't have the words for prayer. I can't tell you how many times I'm praying, and I don't know what to pray. Sometimes it's your personal life. You see the situation ahead of you and you don't know how you're gonna get through this. You don't know how to proceed. The Holy Spirit, however, does. In those times of weakness, when we're come to the end of our ropes, look what Paul says in Romans 8, 26. We read this earlier. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness when we don't know what we ought to pray for. The Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Wordless groans sound familiar? Ugh. We have those. In Exodus chapter 2, I didn't give this one to Craig, so don't worry about it, my friend. There's this wordless groan that God responds to when he's calling Moses. He says, I have heard the cries of my people. I have seen their afflictions. I am coming to help. The wordless groans, the spirit intercedes, knows exactly what we need in that time and exactly what we, uh, how to fulfill it and intercedes as the go-between between our ugh and God's movement. In the times you don't know what to pray for, in the times you don't know what to do, the wordless groans the Spirit knows and empowers and intercedes on your behalf. In the times when you're asking who will, what will, and how will I get through this, the Spirit knows, intercedes with God, and prays for you on this. We have comfort that in those places that the Spirit hears us, meets us, and empowers us to take the next step, to keep moving. I bet Mary had a few wordless groans that night. I bet she had a few sleepless nights. She had a tough conversation coming up with Moses, or with Moses. Maybe. We don't know what her dad's name was. Uh, we probably do, never mind. She had a tough conversation coming up with Joseph. Her fiance, how is he going to take this? This is some news. Hey, sweetie, guess what? <laughs> it was the angel told me. Yeah. Who's going to believe me now? We've had these conversations. Mary had plenty. She puts her reputation at risk. 
How is this all going to work out? The angel comforts her in the times where you don't see the answers. The Holy Spirit will empower you, will carry you to your next step. All you have to do is keep walking. And where the Holy Spirit empowers those places we avoid, God thrives. The angel gives an explanation how this will all work. At the same time, he says, the Holy Spirit will empower you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is something extremely different than the indwelling part of the Holy Spirit. What the angel is saying is that the creator, the sustainer of all, Elohim, the one that created the entire universe back in Genesis 1, is going to step alongside of her and completely surround her with his power. Mary is to an extent the supreme example of what happens to us when we allow God's grace to work through our weakness. The place where we never expect God moves. Not only does he move in those places where we thought nothing will come of it, something happens and God thrives. Look how Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak, weak things of the world to shame the strong. God shows the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one will boast before him. The foolish, the lowly, the weak, the despised, the things that are not, the unexpected, the things that are written off, the sinful ones, the outcasted ones, the failures, all of them. God chooses those ones. Why does God choose our weakness? If an Olympic weightlifter who can lift over 380 pounds over his head with ease undoes the pickle jar that's too tight, is anyone shocked? No. The dude is so strong. Of course he can undo the pickle jar or their pasta jar. If Phil Knight, who owns Nike, walks in with a brand new pair of shoes, is anyone shocked? Dude owns Nike. No. If Bezos walks in and he has a new book delivered through drone, is anyone shocked? No, he owns Amazon. If Bill Gates fixes your computer, are you shocked then? (laughs) Maybe. All of these people, they're strong. They have shoe companies. They own the largest whatever that is down there. They own Seattle. They have... All of these places are places of strength. And so are we shocked when strength begats results? No. Who gets the credit with all of these? Computer actually works? Mr. Gates. New shoes? Phil. Olympic weightlifter? He gets the credit. But when God works through the weakness, when God uses a person like Mary... How else are you going to explain it? I had to be God. Gideon takes this army, the one who kept saying, huh? Gideon takes this army and whittles it down from thousands to a few hundred and then kicks out the Midianites from the land. There's no other explanation on how that would happen. I don't get it, Gideon might have said. We shouldn't have won, but for God. Moses, 
goes from a stutterer to a leader of a nation. How did he do it? I don't know. But for God, you, your weaknesses, your failures, the places where you have messed up, those places you never expect God to move, how are you going to explain it but for him? God works through the weakest places in our lives, so he's the one that gets the credit When the unexpected happens, he's the one who we give glory to. God's power is from the outside. The indwelling spirit is from within. And together they result in results that were otherwise unthinkable. Paul goes on to talk about it this way. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore... I will boast more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, I am strong. When you are at your weakest is the point when you're going to be at your strongest. It's a pattern we see all through Scripture God's power is most fertile in the places where we don't have any. Here's the pattern. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Samson was a flirt. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah was too young. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah, the mighty mighty prophet, was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. No ideas, don't worry. Jonah ran away. Job was bankrupt. Peter denied Christ three times. The disciples fell asleep while praying. I've done that. The Samaritan woman was divorced, most likely a sex addict. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was a murderer. Timothy had an ulcer. Lazarus was dead. (laughs) And Mary was a virgin. All of these were reasons on why they shouldn't have been used. What's your reason? Can you find yourself in any of these places? All of these places would cause us to avoid any kind of call that God might have placed on your life. To be any kind of example to anyone you ever come across with. God points to these strengths and says, that's my entryway to your life. It's as if God is waiting for us to say, there's no way I can do this. And he goes, I know. Watch this. I can do this. The spirit fills. The spirit empowers. God thrives. Today, what's your excuse? What's your weakness? What are you hiding from? What's that thing that you always say when someone asks you if you can, and you go, no, you make up some reason. Where's your weakness at today? Could that weakness rather be an invitation for God's strength rather than, a, rather than an excuse for you to avoid? There's three postures I want to get to uh, in order for us to turn to God and ask for help. The first one is to receive. Receptivity is the prerequisite to acknowledging God's strength. The Spirit is already crafting your renewal All you need to be is receptive. 
Many times we come and pretty much we're like this. No, I'm good. I'm weak. I don't, uh, there's no way. God's just simply asking you, put your guard down. Allow him to empower and to fill. Come and be receptive. The second is to expect. Our God is a very polite God. He doesn't go where he's not wanted. Expect. Jeremiah says, if you seek, you will find. As long as you're seeking God's face, he will be found. Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. Expect God to move. There's no reason why he shouldn't. God expects. All through the Old Testament, you hear the prophets expecting God to move. Why should we be any different? And the last one is move. In spite of your fears, find that God, you'll find that God is moving right next to you. We have faith. We have hope in the middle of weakness that we can take the very next steps. Jesus promises us this, I will go with you into the other parts, uh, uttermost parts of the world. And he says, lo, I am with you always. I'm right by you. In your strengths, in your weaknesses are my strengths. So today, what's stopping you? What's that unexpected place in your life where you think God will never move here? Perhaps that's where he's knocking on your door. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you use the unexpected places all around us to bring about your news and your good and your truth. And so, Father, we, today we come to you expecting. Lord, today we come to you with open arms receiving. And Lord, may in your strength we begin to take the next step. By faith, you said, Abraham took a step. By faith, Moses went to Pharaoh. By faith, Gideon. By faith, Mary. That in spite of their weakness, you work. And so God, today we give to you weakness. And we can have hope in the middle of it. That you'll work, that you'll move, and that you'll get the credit, and we'll just be along for the amazing ride. We thank you, we praise you, in Jesus' name.